This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to another To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie, the Compliance Director at Lipscomb Pitts in Memphis, Tennessee. We are going to tackle another COVID-19 pandemic uh, topic today. And I have with me Stacey Barrow, our ERISA counsel, to help run through some of these questions. So, hey, Stacey, are you ready for another topic? Sure am. Good morning. Okay, so what I want to talk about today is not something that's new, but has a new application to discuss because of the pandemic. Many dental and some medical and other ancillary carriers are giving premium credits right now to employers because of the COVID-19 and stay-at-home orders. They have significantly reduced utilization. If you can't go get care, you're not spending um, you're not, you're not incurring claims. So while this cost reduction is certainly a positive gesture, to the extent that the refunder credit is considered a plan asset, it must be used in accordance with ERISA and fiduciary obligations. So I wanted to walk through that with Stacy today to try to help employers understand what this means. So first, Stacy, can you define a plan asset in this context? Like how do employers know if this credit or, um, refund or whatever it is that they're getting should be considered a plan asset. Sure. So, you know, there's a whole kind of set of regulations that help employers um, determine really what a plan asset is, but to, to kind of boil it down um, under ERISA plan asset, um, employee contributions are always plan assets. And there are times when employer contributions could also be considered plan assets. Um, probably doesn't help answer the question exactly, but in terms of whether or how an employer should um, make the determination if their credit should be considered a plan asset, um, either in whole or in part, you have to look to the facts and circumstances um, and the terms of the plan, it, it, meaning, um, you know, how is the plan structured? Does the plan have any language dealing with the rebates? And then the facts and circumstances, like is the plan contributory? Is it paid entirely by the employee? Um, is it, you know, is there a, a mix of employer-employee contributions? Um, so that's that's kind of how you would you would start the analysis. So once an employer determines that the credit is a plan asset, what are the options from there? Well, let's maybe back up just a step um, and and we'll flesh out the the determination um, a little bit further because, you know, there there are some phases to it. You would start by looking at the terms of the plan. Um, It is very important to consider the terms of the plan, whether it's the wrap document or the carrier certificate or your enrollment materials, you know, all of the materials that encompass the plan should be considered when making the determination as to whether any of this rebate should be shared um, or refund should be shared with employees. Um, It is certainly possible that an employer that has a wrap document or that has, you know, really put some time into an SPD has drafted it in a way that might actually say uh, very plainly 
that any refunds or dividends or rebates are simply the property of the plan sponsor. That it probably has some language explaining how this is the case. It might say that the way the plan is structured is that the participant contributions are the first dollars that are used to pay premiums, and then the employer pays the remainder. And therefore, as long as any refund or rebate doesn't exceed what the employer put into the plan, then all of that refund and that rebate is uh, the employer money and it can be retained by the employer. But if the plan is silent, um, the Department of Labor suggests that uh, employers would use what they call um, ordinary notions of property rights when determining if participants have an interest in a refund or rebate or, or plan dividend. Um, and so as part of that analysis, you might say, well, did the employees share in the plan. Um, maybe the employees paid 20% of the cost or 25% of the cost. Um, and then in those cases, um, you might say, well, then 25% of the refund or the rebate is attributable to employee contributions and really should be considered a plan asset. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get into your um, uh, the question you asked, which is once we determine that the, the credit is a plan asset, meaning um, we, we've, we've made the decision that uh, based on our facts, and our plan, part of this refund has to be shared with employees. And so once we've determined it's a plan asset, what our options are, um, we can um, use it to enhance benefits under the plan, which is, you know, its own kind of um, uh, ball of wax as well um, is to determine exactly what a plan enhancement is. But the, the most um, typical uh, approach is to return um, a, a refund that we've determined that's shareable with employees um, in the form either of cash or a premium holiday. Either way, it's the same thing. It literally doesn't matter from a tax perspective. Um, we can kind of discuss the, the finer points of that, but um, you know that's essentially the um, the ways that you would use a refund that you're sharing with employees. Either return it as a premium holiday uh, or just simply a cash refund. Um, and, and again, either way, it's it is the same from a tax perspective. Um, if you're giving, say, a twenty dollar cash rebate, that's $20, that's taxable, it's $20 more in the employee's paycheck that week, subject to taxes. Same with the $20 premium holiday in that um, if you're taking $20 less as a pre-tax deduction, that payroll for the employee, then there'll be $20 more in the paycheck, which is paid out in cash and subject to taxes. Okay, that's really helpful. So I think what um, we really want employers to understand just from the very beginning is that if you're able to determine that you're working with a plan asset, that generally that means it's got to be used for the benefit of plan participants. So that's why when we're talking about options, we're talking about ways to benefit the plan participants, whether you're enhancing the benefits or talking about ways to give that credit back to them. So Let's talk about employers. So you mentioned that it's possible that 
their plan documents could be drafted to allow them to retain rebates, dividends, that kinds of thing. Um, are there other ways that the employer could retain the credit? Um, yeah, if they if the employer was paying 100% of the cost of coverage, um, then the refund would generally be the property of the employer. There wouldn't be um, any uh, employee contributions that would be attributable toward the, that refund. Um, and then, of course, any portion of the refund that is not attributable to employee contributions, you know, if the employer paid 80% of the cost, that 80% is, is theirs, you know, free and clear. It doesn't have to be um, spent back on the plan. It can just be, you know, returned to, to general assets. Okay, so that's a good segue into my next question. You know, 80%, 20%, whatever it may be. I always get questions normally related to MLR rebates, but this is a similar concept and way you would handle it uh, about how you distribute that. Do you look at exactly 80% of the portion that should have belonged to employees or do you consider employee only versus family? Um, are there any rules or guidelines on how that should be allocated? Um, you do have a lot of flexibility as the plan sponsor, as the employer. Um, any um, you know, allocation method that you come up with that you feel is in the best interest of participants should be fine. Um, you're, you don't necessarily have to get so granular as to looking at, say, months of participation or single versus family, but you'd certainly be entitled to do that and no one would fault you if you were to say, well, you know, we want to base it on the months of participation and, and tier of coverage. We think that would be more fair. Or you might look at it and say, look at our company, the, the contributions are so similar and 90% of the people were in single coverage. We're just going to give everybody a flat dollar amount. Um, you know, any, any reasonable method I think should be respected upon audit. Okay, so an employer really should look at their population, who's enrolled, what's being given back, and then they can just make any kind of determination that falls under that reasonable and fair guidance? Yes. Okay, so what about a time frame for using or returning the credit? I know that there was one when we're talking about MLR rebates, so we're we talking about the same thing here? It is basically the same thing. Um, the the basis for the, the time frame 90 days in the MLR guidance and, and here is that um, if you have participant money, um, you have a certain amount of time, 90 days, to, um, to, to give it to an to insurance company when it's in connection with an insured plan before ERISA's trust requirement applies. And so that's why we say you should use the employee portion within 90 days because after 90 days, you, you, you have this technical requirement under ERISA to hold that money in trust. And you don't want to set up a trust to hold a, a refund from a carrier. 
Okay, I think that this really um, is helpful to employers. So we're going to share this with some communications that we're sending out on this topic soon. But if you have questions, if this didn't answer, you know, your particular situation, or you want to talk about it further, feel free to email me, Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at lpinsurance.com. And if you want to talk with Stacy, I can always get you in contact with him. Thanks so much, Stacy, for breaking this down. It's really helpful. Thanks, Sarah.